Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Be seated. Have you ever been in a conversation where you're just not communicating? You're trying, you're talking about the same thing, you're using the same words, and yet somehow you're not connecting. You're talking past each other. That's what's happening with Jesus and Nicodemus in the account we heard today. Except they're not talking past each other like this. They're talking past each other like this. For you see, as we heard, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were all about the law, studying and knowing the law, keeping and explaining the law, and doing all the law. They were dedicated and sincere and wanted to please God, not working on the Sabbath, paying a tithe of everything, memorizing scripture and more, and they were admired for it. People looked up to them. They were the good guys. Except their thinking wasn't quite right. For they thought that keeping the law and doing all the right things would make them good. And good before God. For the Pharisees it was all about what they did. And many people think that way still today. That all religion, whether it be Christianity or something else, is all about being good. Whatever good means. It's all about what we do. But notice that's not how Jesus talks. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus one night and this is what he wants to learn. He wants to learn what more he could be doing or doing better to reach the kingdom of God. He calls Jesus rabbi, an honorable title, someone he can learn from. He says, you are a teacher come from God. We all know that. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Nicodemus is not stupid. And yet he can't understand what Jesus tells him. Because Nicodemus is thinking this way. While Jesus is speaking this way. So what Nicodemus needs is what we all need. Not just facts or information or a checklist of what to do or not do or do better. What Nicodemus needs and what we all need is a new way of thinking. Not an us doing for God way of thinking but a God-doing-for-us way of thinking. So that's what Jesus does with the words that we heard today. He does it three times in three ways with three examples. With birth, with the wind, and with the bronze serpent episode from the Old Testament. So first, with birth. Jesus says, you cannot see, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Or born from above, that could also be translated. 
born of water and the spirit. But the key word here is born. And the thing about being born is that you had nothing to do with it. You didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose to be conceived. And in fact, when it came time for you to be born and come out of your mother and into the world, you didn't want to do that. You wanted to stay in your nice, cozy place. And your mom pushed you out. Being born is something that happens to you. Not something that you can do. Now Nicodemus doesn't get it because he's thinking this way. Right? So befuddled, he blubbers something about climbing back up inside your mother. Jesus tells him, no, Nicodemus, this isn't a physical rebirth, but a spiritual one. Just as you were born physically, so you need to be born spiritually. You need a new life that comes only from above. Only by water and the Spirit. You need a new life that comes not from you moving up, but from God moving down. We're not told if Nicodemus said anything in response to that, but the next words are from Jesus who says, Do not marvel, so I imagine Nicodemus is just sitting there with his mouth open. He's expecting Jesus to tell him more that he needs to do, and Jesus is telling him the complete opposite. He doesn't get it. So Jesus goes to his second example, the wind. Everybody knows about the wind. You can see it. You can feel it. But you can't cause it or control it. I wish I could. I wish I could keep the wind from blowing all my neighbor's leaves into my yard every fall. And wouldn't it be nice if we could stop hurricanes and tornadoes? But like the wind, spiritual life and the work of the Spirit don't happen because of what we do. The kingdom of God and the work of the Spirit are not our work. The Spirit comes down to us and works when and where He wills. Not when and where we will. We're not the doers. We're not the ones in control. He is. Again, it's all about God coming to us, not us going to God. Poor Nicodemus, he's used to being the teacher, and he's the one getting schooled. At this point, all he can utter is a simple, what? How? How can these things be? Which leads Jesus to the third example, the bronze serpent. This is a story Nicodemus would have known well, perhaps even taught to others. That when the people of Israel were getting what they deserved, being bitten by fiery serpents because they were grumbling against God and accusing God of wronging them, when it was really them sinning against God all along, God in his mercy provided a way out for them. And that was the bronze serpent on a pole. But it really wasn't the image that did anything. How could it? But God attached his word and promise to that image. That whoever was bitten and looked at that image would live. 
Now, they could try to save themselves by what they could do. But life comes only from God and where he puts it, what he does. And I think Nicodemus would have agreed with that. I kind of picture him at this point nodding his head when Jesus is talking about the bronze serpent. He gets that. So that's when Jesus tells him what it really means. Jesus pulls the mask off the bronze serpent. Now, I've never seen this TV show. Maybe you have. I've seen ads for it, though. It's called The Masked Singer. Have you seen it? It's been around for a while, so I guess people watch it. But from what I can tell, there's a celebrity, and he's dressed in a costume and with a big mask on, and they sing, and the contestants have to try to figure out who it is. And I don't know if they ever get it right. All the ads always show them being surprised. But that's what Jesus is doing here now for Nicodemus. He pulls the mask off the serpent and says, this is really a picture of how God will save the world. This is the Son of Man. It is God's own Son who will be lifted up on a pole of sorts on the cross. That whoever believes in him, whoever looks to him there in faith, will not perish, but have life. Eternal life. Now you can try to save yourself by what you do, but eternal life comes only from God and where he puts it. What he does. So that bronze serpent, that was a little saving, a little salvation. The Son of God would come to do the big saving, the big salvation of the whole world. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Saved by what God does. Saved by the God who comes down to us. Because the truth is, you've all been bitten The fiery serpent has sunk his teeth into you and injected you with the poison of sin and death. But God in his mercy has provided us a way out of death to life. And it's 100% him, his doing. All you can do is die. And that's what we do, right? We sin and we mess up. We hurt and we get hurt. We kill friendships. We kill marriages. We kill families. Some people kill babies. Some people kill old people because they don't want them around anymore. They even kill themselves. Wars kill. Drugs kill. Drunk drivers kill. We want to live, but we look around and all we see is death. Which is what God said in the beginning to Adam and Eve of that one tree. The day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And they ate of it, and we've been dying ever since. But that same day that death came into the world, which is what we did, trying to move up, be like God, be God, that same day life also came back into the world. Because God came. He came to Adam and Eve They didn't go to him. They ran away from him. In fact, as we heard last week. But he came to them. 
and gave them his word and promise to give them life again, to provide a way. It wouldn't be easy for them or him. It would involve death, death to defeat death. But he would do it for them. And part of this struggle would be to overcome the poison of sin that has been injected into us. This poison that keeps making us think we can do it. Or that we must do something. I think this is what the words of the collect of the day that we prayed today were talking about. First we said in that prayer, if you remember, that we ourselves, of ourselves, have no strength. We can't do what needs to be done. We don't have it in us. So we went on. By your mighty power, your mighty power, not ours, defend us from all adversities that may happen to the body. Okay. But here's the key phrase. And all evil thoughts that may assault and hurt the soul. Now what are those? Thoughts of anger, hatred, impure thoughts, sure, all of that. But the chief evil thought that assaults and hurts the soul is that the kingdom of God, that religion, that spirituality is something somehow we do. That's an evil thought that assaults and hurts the soul because it takes our focus off of God and what He has done for us and what He is still doing for us and it puts all of our focus on us and what we are doing. Now, as with all false teaching, there's a kernel of truth here. We do good works. We do live new lives. At least, we should. But they are derivative. That is, they are secondary. That is, what God does comes first. And we can never forget that or take it for granted. Before we can live a new life, we must receive a new life. Before we can ascend, the Son of God must descend to us. And He has. Which is what this season of Lent is all about. Not what we do for God, but what God does for us. Not that we love God, but that God so loved the world. Not that we clean ourselves up, but that He has washed us in baptism and given us that new birth of water and the Spirit. Not that we feed ourselves and strengthen ourselves and bulk up and become strong, but that He feeds us with Jesus' body and blood and we receive His strength. Pull the mask off baptism and communion. And that's what's there. Jesus and his life and salvation. God for you. God coming to you. Of ourselves, we have no strength. But here with these, in him, with him, of him, we have his strength. And we have his life which is a life that death can no longer end. Even though we die, yet shall we live. So we need a season like Lent to reorient us again, to be like Nicodemus and listen to Jesus again, to focus us again on God coming for us, God for us, 
God giving us life and new life. To repent of our thoughts that have made their homes in our minds again. That by being good we can somehow make God love us more. When God has already so loved the world that he gave his only son. He can't love you more than he already does. So he came for you and died for you and rose for you and now comes for you to work that in you. That you be one of the whoever. So whoever believe in him and do not perish from your snake bite, but have eternal life. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. Maybe you have the same question, especially how can it be that God loves me after all that I've done, after all that I've messed up, after all my sin, and I still do all this wrong, and I still don't do all this that's right? How can this be? When we fix our eyes on ourselves, we'll question and doubt because of our sin, and rightly so. But that's why Lent calls us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And while we may not know still how this is true, we'll know that it is. Because when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we see that love. We see his life. We see that forgiveness. We see that sacrifice. We see God for us. And what else can we say to that? But thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.